He's a guy I've been following for a while. I really like his work and the information he's putting out there with regards to the tactical space. Hello and welcome to the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis, at the University of Virginia and the University of Wyoming. He holds both a bachelor's and master's degree in exercise physiology and is a former collegiate thrower in track and field, who's most recently moved and transitioned into competing as a weightlifter at the national level. He's also the founder and head coach of the Performance Syndicate, which is a resource for strength and conditioning, as well as providing remote programming for individuals looking to increase their performance. So he was an ideal guest we could get on here for the show. Hunter is a strength and conditioning specialist who spent the last 10 years working within the special operations community. Prior to this, he was a collegiate strength and conditioning coach for seven years. It's an awesome podcast, guys, and I recommend you guys check it out as well after listening to this show. In this episode, Hunter talks about his transition from the collegiate sector into tactical strength and conditioning, how he manages programming in such a diverse group and environment, what performance metrics he tracks. In addition to this, he also hosts the Pots, Pints and PRs podcast alongside former guest Nate Palin, and how he is starting to utilize technology to monitor performance. Okay guys, on this week's episode, I'm really pleased to sit down and chat with Hunter Shura. Good morning, Hunter, and welcome to the podcast, buddy. Good morning, man. Thank you for having me on. Well, good afternoon to you. Good evening to you. So thank you for having me on. It's great to be here, bud. Hey, no worries, Hunter. Thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule, dude. I knew it took us uh, a minute just to get things squared up with our schedules, but uh, really glad things have worked out and managed to get you on, dude. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. Yeah, it's, I had to cancel. We had something come up at the unit like out of nowhere last time, and so I had felt horrible having to cancel because it was literally a phone call. But anyways, I'm glad we're here. So hey, it's awesome. It's all good, man. Like I've said to you before, you know, I've been following your work with Performance Syndicate for a while, and like some of the, the past guests, like numerous ones have said, you know, Go chat to Hunter. He's a great guy. He knows his stuff, and it'll be a really good conversation to have. So, really glad to get this lined up with some of our former guests pushing you forward, dude. So, all good. Yeah, man. It's I appreciate. It. I don't know if I would trust your former guest then, but I'll, I'll take it. So, we're all good. Nice, man. Nice. For anyone who hasn't come across you, Hunter, and your work before, mate, can you just give us a little bit of an overview of you know where your career started out and you know where you're currently at? Yep. Yeah. So, I mean. I started in, in collegiate athletics, um, did my undergrad and my grad school work in exercise physiology, um, fell in love with strength and conditioning. I threw discus and hammer in college. Um, I was okay, I had some success, but I ended up loving the training aspect much more than I did the throwing. Still mm-hmm. love throwing, but I mean, it was in the gym and, and putting in that time and in the process is what I really enjoyed. And I didn't even have a coach or anything you know, I just liked seeing like, okay, if I do this, this is how my body responds. And so that was fell in love with that. And so then had the opportunity when I went to grad school was a grad assistant at the University of Virginia under some amazing coaches, Ed Norton's child, Evan Marcus, and the other staff that was there. And they just instilled a cultural and kind of lifestyle that that I loved. Mm-hmm. So I was at UVA for a couple of years and then went to the University of Wyoming and was at Wyoming for almost five years and was there longer than I thought I would but I had the opportunity to move over to men's basketball which I loved because you know I had basically 15 guys and then I worked with a couple other sports while I did that Um, but I knew everything about those guys as far as just being able to get to know them and understand what goes into the training process was much more than just seeing what happened you know in the weight room and so the more I learned about them just helped educate me on like okay well we need to modify this and that so it just started to kind of build I guess a little bit of a holistic piece without even chasing it just by having a small group Um, but then I also had a really great opportunity while I was there the number of coaches that we had there that were high quality 
was insane. I mean, Trent, you know, I started out under Scott Bennett um, and then Trent Greener came in as our head guy. And I know you've talked to Trent. Trent's done some work now in the tactical space. Rob Hartman and I were there together. Logan Brodeen, who's now at another unit. I mean, just the number of coaches that we had come through and work together was awesome, especially for a small school like Wyoming. And so that was a really good piece. And then I had the opportunity to move over to the special operations side. And so the unit that I am at when a lot of these programs were kicking off, give or take over 10 years ago now, um, I got reached out and contacted like, hey, man, we think you'd be a really good fit. You should probably look into this and, and left Wyoming and, and never looked back. I absolutely love the tactical space. I love the community. I love the purpose. It's no offense to athletics, but that comparatively speaking does not interest me anymore compared to everything that is going on in regards to working within the military and the, and the unit on that. So, yeah, so I've been out here for 10 years and it's been awesome, man, to say the least. So up in the Pacific Northwest where it does not rain as much as people think. So, yeah. Nice, dude. Nice. <laughs> and obviously, you know, some big names, you know, come out of Wyoming, like yourself, there's, uh, there's Rob Logan's Trent there as well, you know, all made big moves over into tactical space and doing great things there as well. What was it then that piqued your interest with regards to the tactical space? Obviously, you said they reached out and spoke to you and said, hey, do you want to come in and chat to us? But I know for most guys who are in the college structure, you know, it's very much climbing through the ranks and getting into a head, head coach role there as well. So what was it that made you want to pivot off and go down that route more? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point as far as, you know, everything that you know or, or job career-wise, you're like, man, this is how it's going to go and I'm going to continue. I want to be a head coach here and all of that. And so to leave was, it was scary at the time as far as to take that jump, as far as because all this was brand new, these were not established programs, tactical strength and conditioning was not a thing, at least in the US to the level it is now. Mm -hmm. And, but it came down to establishing a program from the ground up and serving a purpose that was much bigger than, you know, wins and losses in a game. And so, I mean, I had to research the unit that I was going to, Mm-hmm. As far as to understand, you know, what's, you know, so many, so much of the time people hear special forces and they think of just overarching whatever. I mean, compared to, you know, there's a big difference, as you know, between, you know, Ranger Battalion, special forces who are the Green Berets, you know, the SEALs, and, you know, you could go down all the special operations units. But I mean, I didn't know anything about the unit. So if I'm going to this unit, then I needed to do a lot of research. But once I did, and understanding that was just that much more of a draw and it became kind of a no brainer that I was extremely excited for. And yeah, so it's once I understood what I was really going to have possibly the opportunity to do. Yeah. I jumped fast and, and didn't look back. That's awesome, dude. So obviously making the move over, <clears throat> find out a little bit more about, you know, the unit you're going to and just the differences in job requirements there. What was it like then for you? shifting over from college athletics into tactical space. And what was those, those early days like at uh, the unit? I mean, it was a lot of it was, and still is, it's an educational piece, but it was almost a bit of, we had to sell what we were doing because we're coming in from the outside as, you know, to some extent, you know, imposters. Um, and I say that because we haven't been through what they have been we haven't been down range. We haven't been through selections. We haven't been, you know, through even a fraction of that, but here we are about to tell them, well, this is what you should do to prepare for all these things. 
not from a job specific standpoint, but from the physical stuff. So it's like, no, I have no idea what it's like to, to be in those situations, but we do know strength and condition. We do know how you can respond. We do know all the pieces that, you know, ideally we just want to take off your plate to make your job and your life easier. So the early days were very much not just a marketing or a selling pot, um, spot, but just getting them to understand why we were there and that we were nothing but a resource. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's how can we just teach them? How can we get them to understand? Because within the military, people think that they need to smoke themselves is always the term. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't disagree with, you know, their understanding of that because they're just like, dude, if I've got more, I want to give more. If I can do that, you've got very service minded individuals and like, dude, I can work harder. But, you know, getting them to understand exactly what training is and the purpose of all of that. And it's not just a workout. So it's, it was a mix of education. It was a mix of just an understanding who we are, why we're there. And that still to this day is, is not a battle that we fight but a major piece because within the military, you've got people that rotate in and out of jobs every two to three years. Mm-hmm. And you've got people that come in and what their idea of what success or what training or whatnot should look like can be very different from one person to the next. So that educational piece, that marketing piece, it never goes away, you know? So it's, but it's, it's good because it really forces you as a coach to understand why you're doing what you're doing and have to explain that over and again, but you then have to know your craft because these are smart men and women. And this is, you know, they're talking about their jobs and their careers and their lives and everything else. And they're arbitrarily not just going to hand over all of that if they don't trust you. Mm -hmm. And so earning that trust through result, through education, I mean, there's so many different facets in which you have to just build that relationship. And then that's what it comes down to, to then have that success. That's interesting to hear, dude. And I mean, how's that been then since you've been at the unit now? So how's that that buy-in and that trust factor changed from, you know, day one when you w- walked in first time in the gym or on, the, you know, in parade square of the guys compared to where you're at now with the guys within the unit? To some extent, it's it hasn't changed. And I say that because you still have, you'll always constantly have people that are coming into the unit. Mm-hmm. And you've got people that maybe had a bad, you know, you know, talking to a guy, it's like, I didn't like my strength coach in high school or college, or wherever it was, so I'm not going to like you. And so you've got all just these things that you're kind of fighting against. But building that trust, it's, it's never going to stop. Now we've got people that I've known for 10 years, they've been at the unit, they've left the unit, they come back, and that absolutely helps with buy in. Mm-hmm. Because then guys that then respect them and trust them, that abs- that gives us a huge leg up that they're like, okay, well, if major so-and-so or Lieutenant Colonel is all in or Sergeant major, this he's, you know, if he trusts these guys then I will as well, but then at that same point, you know, they're still individuals and it's just like any other demographic and you've got people that want to do their own thing. Mm-hmm. And so no matter how much they like you or trust you, doesn't mean they're going to train with you because we are a voluntary service um, in which if they don't want to utilize us, they do not have to. Um, which I completely agree with because these are grown men with control over their own lives and they get told so much of the time to what they need to do with it. The last thing I want is their time with me to be shoved down their throat and say, you have to go to see them. You have to do this, but no, I mean, it's, so we've, we've definitely developed trust. We've built relationships and it's, we have a, a reputation now and now it's constantly making sure that we, we live up to it and we continue to improve it. Awesome, man. Awesome. 
now obviously making the move over from college athletics and you know working as you said there with a younger population group of 19 and 20 year olds and that to I'm guessing is generally an older more seasoned group of individuals there you know who've been through their military career work to get through selection that how's your how has your program and philosophy changed you know from college athletics to making that move over into the tactical space and working with different population group and that different mission set as well I mean, the easiest way to probably describe it is probably a little more conservative. Mm -hmm. And I say that because they do have physically demanding jobs, first and foremost. You know, when you're working with that college athletics, you know exactly what they need to prepare, be prepared for every single day on the physical side of things. Do they have practice? Do they have games? Do they have time training? You know, you're not worried about, you know, whatever else happens on the weekend or in their own private time. With our guys, I mean, if, if they come in and train with us, but then they have to go to the range or they're in, you know, another course or they're getting ready to go do X, Y, and Z, or if they're downrange training and we're communicating, you know, with them while they're overseas, you know, they could have, you know, very long days. And if we're giving them these training sessions that are just annihilating them for two hours or even an hour, just trying to prove a point like, oh man, that smoked me. Yeah, that's great. But now you've got to go work or operate for 13 hours. And so being aware of that is, is the biggest thing in making sure that, you know, always it's, it's a great line from, from Nate and Palin in regards to don't make the weight room, the battlefield. Yeah. And it's really easy to get caught up in chasing numbers and, oh man, if squats going up or dude, he's moving so much better. I'm like, yeah, but is this actually, you know, correlating and carrying over to his job? And does he have the energy to perform his job at the highest level? And that's, you know, getting into some of the technology stuff that we're trying to learn and see, but making sure that, you know, you're not, you know, just breaking the guys off because they have so many other things going on in their lives. And then you throw in, it's an adult factor. You know, our average guys, give or take 30 years old, you know, do, are they married? Do they have kids? You know, do they have substance, you know, not necessarily abuse stuff, but are they, you know, how many milligrams of caffeine are they taking in the morning to wake up? Are they drinking to fall asleep? How much sleep are they getting? Do they have, you know, there's so many factors that you don't have to worry about when you're worrying, working with, you know, athletes or even, you know, let alone young athletes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've got the older population that's an airborne unit. Their bodies are going to be more beat up. The stressors are that much more higher. They've got a physically demanding job. And so you're not going to be like, well, according to this chart, we should be doing X amount of reps at X amount of sets. Well, yeah, that research was done on a 20-year-old Russian weightlifter. Yeah. You think that correlates to a 35-year-old man with, you know, six kids and this and that? Like, you just, so you just have to at least think of all those things, mm -hmm. you know, you're putting down. And then scheduling with our unit is, I don't want to say a nightmare, but you've got guys that are maybe once to twice a week. And then the same guys on their team are in every single day. And then they want to train together and do the exact same thing. And so how do you then make sure that they can work together, train together, consistency? I mean, the moving pieces are super high, but from a programming standpoint, like it's a challenge and it's a puzzle and you're always trying to put those pieces together. And just when you think you're there, you, you look over and you've got another thousand pieces and you're like, oh God, we still don't, we still have so much more work to do to try to understand this and, and make this fit. And so it's always changed, but it's, it's it, to me, that's the best part of the job. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome to hear. And I mean, similar to you, like I come from very much a sporting background as well. And it's very easy to control with a younger group of guys who are, you know, 
you know they're in class, they're at um, at practice, or they're in the weight room with yourself, or on field for conditioning and stuff. And there's not a lot of other stressors going on, so it's very much that small microclimate with them. Whereas with the guys you're dealing with, like you say, older population group, off at different schools, you know, coming into the unit at different ages as well, potentially there as well, and obviously downrange too. How do you do your programming then for these guys with so many different variables? Do you try and do like a block method? Do you just have like a roll and conjugate? You know, what, what what's your process through with these guys? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's not not that it depends answer, but I mean, it, it's kind of great to truly try to put a label on it. I mean, the biggest thing that I've really become a fan of is to some extent, like a total body training session every single day mm-hmm. and some sort of energy system development work every single day. And then taking those pieces from an intensity, from a load standpoint. So it's definitely, I mean, there's, there's undulating pieces, there's conjugate pieces. It's very linear still overall in regards to maybe the progression of it. Um, but that way, if, a, if I only know, and sometimes we don't know, but if a guy's coming in once a week, then I want to at least touch, you know, major movement patterns. Are we pushing, pulling, squatting, hinging, doing some sort of carries? Even if it's not super heavy, even if it's not loaded, at least touching that pattern. So it's familiar. We put those, these movement patterns. Are we doing something explosive, reactive, some sort of conditioning piece? And then how those fit together to where it's like, okay, if you've got a bigger, you know, load carriage day on one day, we still might touch the next, but we can still do it, you know, say the example, like maybe just a basic dumbbell farmers, kettlebell dumbbell farmers walk in which they're going super heavy. Mm-hmm. And the next day that loaded carriage might be like a single arm kettlebell bottoms up walk. So obviously we're still doing some sort of carry, but the stabilization and the smaller stress on the system would be significantly less. So yeah, it'd be great to, but they still want to train with their guys. And so we can't give you know, so opposed to having, I guess you could call it like a playlist as far as here's workout one, here's workout two. And if you get in on the first day, then you do workout one. Mm -hmm. But the problem is with that is if you've got a team where six guys came in and they did workout one, then the other six guys come in the next day and you've got half the team that would do two, the other team's not going to do one. Yeah. They want to train with their boys. They haven't seen their guys. So trying to get them to understand like, dude, no, I'm well, then I'm not going to train with you. We want to work together. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's some of that appeasement as well. So, but yeah, so from that programming standpoint, it is kind of a mishmash of everything, but managing those stress, making sure we get certain movement patterns and addressing whatever energy systems, you know, we feel that we need to on a regular basis is the biggest piece. So I know that's kind of a gray, like ugly answer to that. And it's not super clean, um, but it's still something that we're, we're still trying to work out because even by doing that method, you're going to have days in which we need to get longer duration aerobic work in. And it's like, okay, we'll sacrifice that if we need to get out for a long ruck to make sure that we touch that, you know, at least, you know, say every two weeks at the minimal or whatever it may be. And so there's exceptions to those rules, but yeah, I mean, everything's it's linear as a whole. It's undulating weekly. It's, it's a conjugate metal method on the daily. And so it's just taking that to make sure that does it all fit together you know, from, you know, who they are. And then from obviously, you know, the science background of it is it, okay, does this actually work? Or are we just doing random stuff? Yeah. yeah. It's interesting hearing. Yeah. I mean, 
is one of those things, the classic within SNC, isn't it? It depends and like I'd say no more uh, applicable than the population group you're working with when there's so much going on there as well. I was going to say with regards to the guys in unit, um, obviously you say, you've said before, hundreds voluntary and guys can, you know, volunteer to be a part of the program and not yep. within that. How does training change as, you know, as much as you can say around it for guys who are just very much new into unit, you know, if they've just passed Q course and stuff coming in, what's the program look like for those guys if they choose to volunteer for coming in? Do you get information ahead of time or is it just very much doing assessment once the guy rocks up on day one? Okay. Yeah, no. And, and that's the thing it's, and so we've got basically, we do have an assessment that we'll do mm-hmm. that'll just give us an overview and a snapshot of that, which you know, it gives us their physical capabilities of that day. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think the easiest thing people get caught up in where you're testing. Well, that tells us where he's at that day. Yeah. We, you know, okay, well, if he got four hours of sleep and he got off a plane and then he tested, I mean, is that a great, you know, representation? And so, well, according to this, his mile time was this. I'm like, yeah, but look at what led into it. Um, but that's a whole different tangent. So, um, <laughs> but as far as when people, you know, get to the unit and how we're training and, and doing all that, we don't get, I guess, super advanced in a lot of complexity in regards to our movement patterns. We consider that lowest common denominator. We can sit, and again, because the guys are so different, I mean, compared to, you know, any other sport in which they probably grew up in a very similar system. So if you've got guys that play soccer, say at the collegiate level, they went through high school, they played developmental, they did all this stuff on the way up you've got guys on teams that how they got through selection and who they are as athletes is absolutely different. And so they have all these different movement patterns and then you've got, you know, their senior and their junior and they could have a 15 year gap. And so now you got a 46 year old training with the 30 year old and one guy's maybe more experienced. And so you got to be flexible based off that. But I mean, once we get guys and everything else, it's the educational piece. It's not getting super advanced and it's, it is a lot of hands-on coaching. And if they can't get into, you know, the, the positions or whatever we're doing, you know, then we'll absolutely modify off of that. But we've, we've done different things in the past and far as where we've had kind of like an intro period in which, you know, you need to get the first, you know, say 10, you know, training sessions or, or through our, what, you know, we'd call our intros, you know, which it's, there's good and bad to that. And I say that because at the same time, these are advanced guys and, you know, they're going to look at you and it kind of bit us when we called them the intros. They're like, dude, I'm not an intro guy. Yeah. You know who I am. I'm like, you're not an intro guy. It's the name doesn't mean anything, man, but they still, all they saw on paper was intros and they wanted to train with the rest of their team. And so the biggest thing we wanted to do, and so we kind of dropped that so we could basically eliminate the barrier of entry mm-hmm. so they could train with their team. And so what we'll end up doing is just, we might have a, a coach dedicated to the new guys that is much more hands-on. The other guys, we, we are pushing the intensity and really chasing more performance to where, you know, then we'll have the coaches working with, you know, the newer guys or people new to the unit, just explaining how we do things, how things function, you know, and, and doing a lot more of the educational and movement part of it um, compared to obviously if we trust a guy, then we don't need to explain every single time. Yes, you're coaching, you're going through cues, you're making corrections and all of that stuff. But yeah, so it's, we try to get them in with the the rest of their team, the rest of the unit as soon as possible, because everything else that they do will be that exact same thing. And if we're kind of the anomaly holding them back, then they see us as the, is the place where they're being held back. And so much of their selections and whatnot to get where they're at is 
they don't want to stick out. And now if they're down by a group by themselves sticking out, then dude, I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. Because now I've got a target on my back and leadership comes in and my team's down here and I'm down here by myself with two coaches. And I look like some special kid that needs this extra attention. I don't want that. And so, man, how can we get them in with the guys, but then we're modifying. And so it's, it's not an ego thing, but it's just understanding that culture to make sure that we are fitting our model of teaching education, but it all comes down to quality control. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll never chase, you know, anything else other than just making sure that they're, you're, they're healthy first and foremost. Definitely. Definitely. And it's interesting just to hear that as well on, you know, just changing up that language choice as well, just to promote that buy-in. So guys aren't, you know, like um, stepping away from like, well, I'm not that intro guy, you know, I've done a lot to get here and stuff. But I quite like as well, you mentioned about testing and, you know, my thoughts and testing have changed a lot over my career as coaching as well. Like, it's still important, I say, to a degree, but like back in the day when I first started, testing was huge. And like you say, it's just very much a snapshot of where you are on the day. I think it was Dan John's book I was reading. It was quite interesting. It was just like, you know, if someone asks you what your max is, it's like, well, what do you mean by max? You mean my max, which I could hit on any day of the week, you know, if I work up to it. And then it's like a max, max, you know, if I've had heavy dose of caffeine i've got some slayer on or something like that you know and then there's like yeah true max where it's like a few weeks build in to get that true max sort of thing so yeah a lot of things feed into it yeah and it's i mean assessments are great and it does give us that snapshot and it gives us that ability to kind of check in but i mean we'll try to any type of any of the programs that we'll do we will constantly be assessing and testing and giving them opportunities to whether they put and we'll do a little bit of, I guess, you know, you could call auto-regulation in the training, whether that's rep ranges, percentages, like based off how you're feeling. It's like, okay, we've got, you know, for example, we've got sets of five today. And now you can work in those sets of five between, you know, call it 65 to 75%. Mm-hmm. Start at 65, you feel good, then we can start to work their way up. Um, but yeah, from the assessment piece, it, it's a, it's important to do, but we need regular data and regular st- stuff to see what's going on. And then we can start looking at the trends because if all we look at are, are the outliers, it's like, yeah, you've got a 500 pound max. But like you said, yeah, I had my best friends there. I slept for nine hours. I had a milligram of caffeine through me and my favorite band was on. So yeah, let's get it, man. Yeah. And the next day it's like, yeah, it's, I've been up for 18 hours doing this. I'm exhausted. And then you test well, now my numbers don't, you know, and if we're going to work off percentages or maxes or whatever that is Mm -hmm. for these next eight weeks, but it was, you know, not even a representation of who I am, is that assessment valid? And and so that's what you just have to be aware of. You know, you just got to look at it like, okay, that was a snapshot of that day at that time under those situations. How does that affect training on the regular basis? And that's having that flexibility and we'll build that in indoor training and programming. I'll do that, whether it's at the unit or I'm at, or, you know, through the stuff on the performance syndicate in the side, as far as like, here's the deal. You got a range, you have this, man, if you feel good, I'll even give you open sets. Like if you can do more than four, take it up to 10 up at, you know, I'll stop at a certain level, but, and it just allows, I mean, there's so many boxes it checks from them giving a little more ownership of the program. Like, dude, I've got control over my training. Oh, coaches like, you know, he's going to let me go today. And, so it's fun. It's yeah. I mean, there's so many of those pieces, but yeah, that assessment piece it's yeah. It, we just, we get taught, I think at that school level that man, you got to test, you got to assess, we got to get an initial one. Mm-hmm. And it's not that there's not value in that, but don't make it into anything other than it's not. 
definitely, definitely. I couldn't agree with you more on that, dude. Now, obviously, because it's such a diverse group of guys you are coming through, and obviously training's always ongoing for these guys. How do you manage stuff for the guys um, who are still going off as part of, you know, their pipeline to different schools? Like if they're going off to dive school or free fall school and that, and they're bought into the strength program you've got running there. Do you just give them like a, a take a takeaway program? Like, right, when you get on base there to the gym, this is what you need to follow or you've got these options or is it just a case of go do the school, the demands of the school, take precedence and we'll see when you get home. Yeah, I mean, so again, it, it, it all depends. Because, yeah. And I say that because not just as a cop-out answer, it comes down to the communication on their part because it is kind of a big boy rules, you know, situation. When it comes to training, just like anything else, we want to make sure that if they communicate, we can modify anything and everything. So we might have like an underlying program that they are doing or they were doing and then a school or a change of whatever comes up. And then we're like, okay, well, here is the programming or the training that we have for this school, whether it's leading up to it while you're there. And then it's like, okay, well, I'm going down to this base at this. And like, dude, that's awesome. We had some guys send us pictures of what we know that facility looks like. Now here's where we start, you know, with, but then, you know, keep us posted as far as what your schedule is, because if their schedule is a little different or if they're not sleeping, it's, we have to modify. And so we have kind of a lot of standard training that we can provide initially. Mm -hmm. And then that flexibility based off where they're going, their schedules, all that, then we tweak and modify. So we'll, that way we're not reinventing the wheel every single time. We've got a lot of just kind of standard stuff based off the information that we knew at the time or whatever it may be that we'll constantly try to change and adapt if we need to. Mm -hmm. In that way, you know, we've just because we've got so many people in the unit, um, but then we can just, you know, tweak and modify that. And that way they've got at least a baseline of a place where, where they can start with and go from. No, that sounds awesome, dude. Um, I was going to ask you as well, Hunter, because I know you, you've mentioned already just about <clears throat> incorporating a bit more of the tech into training, just so you can track a few more things. You know, what what metrics do you guys typically try and track and keep a hold of, and where do you see that going? And linking that back to obviously, what kit are you starting to try and bring in to help you with that? Yeah, so it's the educational piece, not just teaching them, but teaching us. Yeah, and you know, like we talked about, you know, a little earlier, as far as what does, and I put air quotes on it, as far as what does war look like? And all we know is basically, you know, stuff we can read about stuff, you know, firsthand experience from the guys, what they tell us that we're doing outside of that. We don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's not a naive standpoint. It's just the fact that, you know, we could tell based off all the technology, exactly what happens to an individual athlete in the NBA with all the cameras and all the wearable technology, we could tell you exactly how fast they move their accelerometer, how much of this, how much of that. We can't do that to even the nth degree with these guys. And so we're still in a really big data gathering standpoint. And so with our guys, when they train with us, we're going to track heart rate, breathing rate, body position, accelerometer, and then we can build stress models off of that. And then, so that can at least start, to at least give us like objective data. And then we'll, you know, we have a little questionnaire and whatnot that they can fill out, you know, what is their sleep? What is their nutrition? What is their soreness? You know, just what is their perceived exertion of everything? And then we can start to line that out. And we look at frequency of training. When was the last time you were in? How often have you trained in the last X amount of days? Um, we'll look at day, like a daily or weekly readiness test in regards to using force plates 
Um, and so we're trying to take all this data and just understand more. And then what we can do is then does that correlate with what we're seeing in training? Does that correlate with having the conversations that we have? And a lot of the times it just, it creates more questions for us, which is a good thing. But then we want to educate the guys as far as to make sure that they understand why we're doing what we're doing is, is at the end of the day, we're a tool to help them and we're a resource. And so, but I think the biggest piece is going to be this data information, but make sure we're, there's, we're utilizing it. And I know we're very fortunate at the unit we've got for our data scientist, our performance scientist in regards to he is next level, his understanding of stuff, the conversations that he and I have. Are, are awesome. We would not be able to do what we do without him. And I say that just one from a time standpoint, because if you're a strength and conditioning coach, you're like, dude, I've got to train. I got to do this. I do that. And now you want me to break down all this data that I don't understand. Like, I can't write code. I can't look at this, you know, hard data and pull from this. I'm like, what do you want me to do with this? Mm -hmm. But I think, so that's why I like having these personnel that educate and work with each other and being integrated in so many different things is huge. Um, but yeah, from that data standpoint, what, what we're starting to learn and see, and it could be good, it could be bad. I mean, it, it, as far as like, oh my gosh, we're not helping these guys or holy cow, like the difference we know of the guys when they come in and train with us and we see it here in this point in regards to, you know, their daily readiness in regards to maybe their jump. We see it in performance metrics. We see it in the fact that, you know, these trainings are you know, equated with less time seeing the physical therapist, like, man, how much of this can we collect? So then we can look back and like, okay, what worked? Yeah. What was so great about this training period? What did we see during these times that worked so well? And so I know like the wearables and data and all that stuff is super sexy right now. And yes, there's still a lot of educational piece and still understanding what you can ex exactly do with that stuff. But I mean, if, if you're trying and you're trying to learn to understand and actually use it opposed to just like, well, we're going to collect it and we're just going to sit on it. Because mm -hmm. um, I think that's done it at places for a long time because there's just pressure to collect and or justify programs or whatever that may be. But yeah, I mean, I think that data piece and really learning and understanding what tactical athletes go through was huge. And then not just within those training sessions, can we get it on the guys when they're out training through the day? Even if they're at the range, and they're just going through whatever, what does their stress, what does their work look like for the rest of the day? Because then that can help us like, okay, we need to do less, you know, in training, or we need to do more. Or what does it look like when they go out, you know, through other schools or what have you. Um, and so it just that educational piece then just allows us to then do we prepare guys better? Do we push? Do we pull back? And we're still learning like, oh, man, we see a guy that goes up into the red, whatever you want to call the red is that good? Do we need to have these higher level stress days? Do we know yet? You know, and, and so those are the questions that have to get answered to really understand how hard we can push, how hard we, you know, need to pull back to make sure that they're recovered, but still stressing at the same time to make sure that they're, you know, prepared for what they need to do. No, mm -hmm. well, that's, that sounds really interesting, dude. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves over time as well. And just being able to get those metrics and feedback. And like you say, important factor there being able to track them as they're doing more of their their quote-unquote skill work you know either on the range or out um out in the fields and stuff as well and see what that true stress is on them um i was going to ask because you mentioned there about the force plate stuff you're doing for the weekly readiness are you jump testing them are you isometric pulling them for that yeah and so i mean we'll we'll do basically like a counter 
counter movement jump. Mm -hmm. um, and due to their consistency, we might only get that in once a week. Yeah. And that's fine. You know, try to do, to try to do that every day from, you know, whether that would maybe be a time standpoint, maybe that would be, you know, a, a consistency standpoint. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look, I think the research is really showing to much more reactive or high speed movements are going to be a little more predictive of that compared to like a grip, you know, grip strength, um, which, I mean, there's still good stuff out there. Don't get me wrong, but we're, you know, we're always going to look for the best way forward and, you know, what can we get out of this? Mm -hmm. um, we're de we've definitely played with isometric poles um, in regards to assessment stuff as well. Um, but yeah, so as far as the readiness, we're looking at basically like a jump uh, on the force plates. That's awesome. I was going to ask you as well now, because obviously you've been in tactical escape now in, at the unit for what, 10 years plus now? We're looking yeah, at yeah, over a decade now. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. I mean, if you look back over those 10 years and you had the opportunity to speak to, you know, Hunter 10 years ago, you know, coming into the unit, what would you say the biggest lessons you've learned and advice you'd give back then? Still, I just get out with the guys more often. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest thing. It's, I want to say that I was, I, I did a good job, I think, of being open to trying to learn about what they did. I don't think I did a good enough job early on listening to the guys themselves. Yeah. And, and I think that would be the biggest area to improve on because at the end of the day, these guys are the subject matter experts. Mm -hmm. And we even know that there's placebo factors that go on. So if a guy tells me like, dude, when I get ready to train, I like to put my head and bang my head against the wall 10 times every morning. I'm like, dude, if that's what you got to do to get ready to go. And that's what works. Cool. Like have at it, put your head through the wall. Obviously don't do that, but yeah. But listening to the guys as far as like, man, this is what we need to get ready to do. This is how we train because there's, they're going to give you the answers as far as what success looks like. And it's really easy to, I think, come in and like, dude, I've got all this knowledge about physiology and training and man, this is what you said you do. So I know how to train somebody up to do that. Okay. Well, have you taken into account, you know, like the, the condition of their feet and their ankles when they're out doing these movements, not just the overall energy system or the muscular systems needed. Have you taken into account all this? And so that's why it's so important to listen to the soldiers on the ground. And they're going to give you the answers that you need if you're willing to listen. The problem is, can, you, can we get our egos out of the way as coaches or start to or not paint the picture as far as what we think this final product needs to look like? Like, oh, okay, you told me this. So I know we need to start doing X, Y, and Z, but just keep listening, have those check-ins, get out, do as much as you can with them. Cause all that does is just create better relationships and, and trust and everything else. So it's, I, I was open-minded and it helped me a lot when I got to the unit. Cause I, you know, I was like, dude, I still don't know this population and, and I'm going to do all I can to help, but I didn't listen in as much as I should have to the guys and still checking in, like, what do you guys need in training? What do you need to do for what's coming up? Um, opposed to just asking it like once or twice before a deployment or something like that. So that would be my biggest thing that I would tell myself, um, you know, looking back on. That's awesome, dude. And I think, yeah, some good key lessons there for anyone to take forward, regardless of population group as well. So yeah, those are cool, dude. I was going to ask you as well, mate, just I always have the same question for everyone who comes on the show because I'm always keen to know what people are involved in for their own education. So mm -hmm. on that, Hunter, can you just give us a, a book, an app or website, you know, you personally found useful for either your own education or just your own development? 
Man, I mean, so the current book I'm reading right now, um, and as a weightlifter, you know, it's if anybody's familiar with Greg Everett of Catalyst Athletics here in the States, Greg's done an awesome job um, as far as the weightlifting side, but he's gotten more into not just like the tactical, but just like getting out and hiking and moving and having all these other skills. But he wrote a book called Tough. Um, and so that's what I'm currently reading right now. And I think there's a lot of really good mindsets and stuff to take away from that book. Um, I think the best book that I've seen read lately in regards to the tactical space that I wish I would have read 10 years ago would probably be building the elite. And a lot of that, not from an arrogant standpoint was stuff that I knew, but I've also been at the unit for 10 years. If I would have been able to read that book a decade ago to get an understanding just much more as far as opposed to lessons learned, I think that could have fast tracked me to just put me ahead of the curve. Yeah. to then be oh, at least much more aware of a lot of those things. So I think that was a really good resource in that regard. Um, seeing through just a lot of the BS on social media is half the trouble these days, but there's some really good stuff that's out there. I mean, even from the athletic side, as far as, you know, we'll do, you know, say like some aerobic plyometrics with the guy. So low level plyometrics at a submaximal, just building durability, building reactivity, well, that's not coming out of the tactical space. And if you can recognize like the carryover, like, wow, that actually would help the guys operate with single leg stuff on uneven terrain and all of that. So if you're willing to get outside of your lane and, and work with other stuff, there's so many educational pieces out there. But yeah, I mean, I grew up, you know, in the strength and conditioning time where it's like, well, I'm reading powerlifting stuff on elite FTS from, from Dave Tate and those guys. And that was great. Or you've got T Nation and you're reading, all about these bodybuilding stuff. And it's, and so there's so many different pieces that it's all good information to read because it's just going to help you like, is that, is that applicable? Um, but yeah, those are, those are the two books that I've read recently. Um, and then I've been doing some own rucking of myself lately and some endurance running, which I'm not an endurance guy, but putting myself in those situations has, has done a lot of firsthand experience in regards to teaching. And so getting out of your shell, I think, to try to do the stuff that you don't do to create, you know, like, what would you build your ideal athlete at as far as whoever you're working with? And then making sure you at least touch some of those things is going to be educational for you to understand, you know, more of what they go through. So the more you can kind of experiment on yourself and do that stuff is something I would highly recommend. Cool. Both, uh, both awesome resources as well there, dude. Obviously, I had the opportunity to chat to Jonathan and Craig uh, from Building the Elite just recently as well books all the guys and i've been following greg's work for quite a while i've seen a lot of stuff he's been doing with regards to tough so yeah great resources i'll make sure i'll stick them in our show notes dude um you know obviously drop a lot of knowledge bombs here hunter for anyone who's listening who's just wants to again touch and pick your brain a little bit um what's the best way they can do that yeah so i mean everything um so i do have a side business um or just a business itself in the performance syndicate and because I'm a contract strength and conditioning coach, we've kind of got set hours. And by doing the performance syndicate, it's allowed me to have a little bit of a voice or at least just a place to where, I mean, I just kind of wanted to create a resource in regards to information. Um, and I, I love coaching. And so I, I definitely do remote programming and training and whatnot with people, but that is the easiest way as far as to reach me. So whether that's Facebook or Instagram, it's just, this, the, uh, excuse me, that helps, um, the performance syndicate, um, at the performance syndicate on both of those. Okay. Um, my email is hunter 
at the performance syndicate.com. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, I, I have the best job in the world and like, I, I wear gym clothes for the most part every day and I get to work with people and train and this career and this field has given me so much. And so to be able to share that with other people, to, for us to even have this conversation, all of that, like how, how, how could it get much better than that, man? So that's, it's the reason why I got into that. So that's, yeah. And anything regarding at the performance syndicate it is going to find your, find their way to me. And I'm more than happy to help and chat and do whatever I can. That's awesome. Thanks a lot. I'll make sure I stick them in the show notes as well. And I'll give a shout out as well, because obviously you've got your own podcast up and running now with Nate as well, which is, uh, if I'm not saying pots, pints and PRs. It is. Yeah. It's yeah. So Nate Palin, um, who's now kind of the director of curriculum and education, whatnot with um, the nonprofit fit ops. Um, he and I worked together. Um, he was a coach at our unit. Mm -hmm. for a little while and, and he and I hit it off really well and and we both used to live give or take like 45 minutes from work and you know we'd carpool in every day and because of that just some of the conversations good bad and ugly that we would get into and we're like dude like one of these days we just got to you know at least talk about it so we, we just get into a lot of just life and different things that we've been through and then we definitely touch on strength and conditioning and some other performance stuff but it's, yeah, just, I get to hang out and talk with, again, like talking to you, talking to Nate, like, mm -hmm. I mean, that's awesome. So yeah, pots, pints, and PRs based off pots being the caffeine that gets you up. Pints is kind of, we all go through downs and that alcohol is a little bit of a downer at times. Um, and then PRs, it's always like, man, what's the good stuff going on in the world with us or whatever it means, you know, whoever we're talking to. Um, so that's where all that came from. Great, man. Yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome listen, dude. I mean, I'm looking forward to that show just growing and growing as well, dude. So I'll stick yeah, with it. for that as well so everyone can access that as well. I don't think anyone will be disappointed. It's a good show. <laughs> well, obviously, at the Star Hunter, I've said, you know, it took us a little bit of time just to get our schedules to marry up a little bit. But as always, you know, good things come to those who wait. And this has been like a really enjoyable conversation, dude. So thank you very much for taking the time, bud. No, man, thanks for having me on. It's It's been great talking to you, man. And I hope to stay in touch for sure. Definitely, definitely. Okay. Take care, buddy. Later. Hi, guys. Really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I just wanted to say thank you for your continued support to the show. We're slowly growing each week and getting more and more downloads, which is truly incredible for such a niche-specific podcast. To continue supporting us, can I ask you to do me a simple favor? First of all, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're using so you can receive each new episode as soon as it's released. Secondly, if you found something educational, if it made you see a different perspective, or if you took something away from this podcast that made you better, please leave us a review as it means a lot to me, and please share the show. This will help us to grow the show and really get this information out to a lot more people.